You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Well, again, good morning uh, to you. Uh, I haven't uh, said good morning to you. Welcome to the shore. Uh, it's, it's funny, next week we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the temple that is going on uh, in chapter 9, but uh, I, I was standing behind the curtains there. If you're online, you don't see the curtains, but behind the curtains there, I felt like I was in the Holy of Holies because there's a basketball rim back there, and so it feels like that. if, if, if the temple was built today, there'd definitely be a basketball rim back there. Well, before I get too sacrilegious about this, let's, let's rise and, and uh, we're going to read through Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 through 13. I've actually backtracked a little bit into chapter 6. Uh, we hit chapter or verse 6 and verse 7 um, last week, but I want to reread it here because it, it does tie into what we're, uh, we're covering this morning as well, all the way to the end of chapter 8. So it's on the screen or it's in your journals, in your Bibles, and you can follow along. It says this, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the Word of God. Amen. Well, let's pray, and then we'll sit and jump into this text. Jesus, we thank you so much again for mornings like this where we can come and gather before you, that we can come and, and sing to your holy, holy, holy name that we can sing of songs of grace and remember the good grace that you have given us. And then we can stand before the text of your scripture, the the Bible opened up to Hebrews chapter 8 and see again the grace that you are giving to us. And so I just pray, Jesus, that as we uh, walk through this amazing text of scripture, that we will hold fast to it this week, that we will remember, that we will not forget, that we will not drift away, but that we will remember that your goodness uh, to us each and every day, and that we will live our life in great joy and in your rest and in your faithfulness and in your promises. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. We'll grab a seat. Uh, there, well, there are, uh, if you didn't know this already, there are outcomes to every decision that you make. There are consequences. And we know this, like, right? Like everything you do, there's always a consequence to that sin. It could be good or th- to that thing. It could be good or bad. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking specifically about driving. Now, if we speed in our car, uh, there are consequences to that speeding, 
some of the consequences that are that you get to your destination faster. So that's maybe a good consequence to your speeding. There's a second consequence to that speeding, and that consequence is you might get actually pulled over, and there will be a fine, a penalty of sorts that you would have to pay for. Uh, this is called a ticket if no one ever has had one of these before. There's these red lights and blue lights that happen. They follow you, and then you have to pull over, and they, they write you this penalty, this ticket. Uh, one day, actually, while I was driving, and this happened to me one time, and, and my daughter behind me starts crying. is like, is daddy going to jail? And uh, it was just last year, so no big deal. Now they understand a little bit better. They're a little bit older now. Uh, but uh, yeah, there, there's these consequences. And another consequence is that maybe you get in an accident and actually even maybe even die in that accident. So there's three, like three major consequences of speeding. Uh, there's probably many more. There's all kinds of scenarios that you could add, actually, to this one scenario. Um, but if we're playing Jeopardy, those are probably the top three, I would assume. Uh, I'm saying all this because Jody and I just finished watching this uh, kind of documentary interview of sorts. Uh, if you've heard of Jordan Peterson before, he had this interview with uh, a young lady uh, named Chloe Cole. You can actually look it up if you just type in Jordan Peterson and Chloe Cole. Uh, you'll find out that really quickly. It's about an hour or so long. I can't remember how long it is, but it is, it is lengthy. Uh, but this interview is with this Chloe Cole, and, and she's a girl that is detransitioning out of uh, her transition from being a biological girl and transition to a boy, and then now is detransitioning back to her, her biological sex, the one that she was given to by God. And it was a hard interview to watch. Um, noticeably, you could, you could see Jordan Peterson get angry, and uh, my anger equaled his uh, on, the, on the screen. <clears throat> uh, but it's, it, it's watching this young girl, at, even at the age of 12 and 13 years old, taking hormone blockers, uh, getting uh, testosterone to fill in her body. And then at the age of 15... Uh, having a double mastectomy, 15 years old. And man, there's so many questions that would, came into my mind. Like, number, the biggest question is having a surgeon, having a surgeon standing at the operating table, nurses helping that surgeon, standing at the operating table, knowing full well what they're doing blows my mind. Blows my mind. See, this young girl at age of 12, 13 has no idea of the consequences that are before her, of the decisions that she is making. She needed a family. She needed a group of people around her to help her make wise decisions and to help her see the consequences of what she desired. She needed doctors and nurses to speak in rather than just go, you know what, this is what you want, you're going to get this. See, when we are young, we don't fully understand the consequences of our decisions. Now, when it comes to the Scriptures, and I, I broached this uh, a couple weeks ago, but I want us to really think as a church, and really think this is our family, that we live in a kingdom. 
We live in a kingdom with a king. And every decision that we make has consequences to it. And are we, like in some ways Chloe, unaware of the decisions that we make daily, unaware of the decisions and the consequences that we are committing before a holy God, before a holy king? And we need, just like Chloe needed, we need people around us. We need family members around us to help us see clearly at times. Well, here in chapter 8 of Hebrews, we are hearing about a new covenant. A new covenant. And the reason for this new covenant is not because God got tired of the old one. It's not because He wasn't smart enough to make the first one lasting. It's actually because of man's failure. It's man's failure. This is why the new covenant... The failure to uphold the first one. And as I'm trying to show in my intro here on the severe consequences that take place when you rebel against the Holy God, that there needs to be something that takes place for that decision. And so the outline this morning is why the new, and you can see in verse 6 through 9, what will this new covenant do in verses 10 through 11, and then how will it do it? in verses 12 through 13. So let's uh, keep our Bibles open. And just as a prelim, if you want to start searching out Jeremiah 31 in your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 31 and just put your finger in there. But let's look at Hebrews again, chapter 8, verse 6 through 9. It says this, But as it is, excuse me, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now, this we covered last week. This is Jesus' better ministry. It's a better covenant, much better covenant, much better promises because the promise is Jesus, and a much better mediator because it's not a priest, it's actually Jesus is your great high priest. So better mediator, better covenant, better promises. Now, verse 8. For he, Jesus, finds fault with them when he says, For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with those, with the, sorry, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. That's, and so I showed no concern for them. Some translations say it, I did not care for them, declares the Lord. So the reason for the new covenant is plain to see when you start looking into what the author brings into light in our text. And what he's doing is all the way from verse, basically verse 8 all the way through the end of chapter, or verse 12, is actually a quotation of something that was prophesied thousand year, thousands of years before. This is Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. That's why I have you put your finger in Jeremiah 31. And I want to look at this, but in summary, before we get into it, in summary, we see a few things that I want to point out that will help us see the main point here. Like, why this new covenant? And the main point, again, being Jesus is the one that renews. 
It is Jesus, the one who gives hope. It is Jesus is the one that gives forgiveness. And it is Jesus, he is the only way to salvation. And as we've already seen through Hebrews, if we continue to read those first seven chapters, now first eight chapters, and just over and over again through the week, you're going to see again that Jesus is the eternal source of salvation. He's our anchor. It's all about Jesus. So I want to highlight two reasons for the new covenant for us in this first section. There's many more, but I just want to highlight these two because I think they're pertinent for us all. So why the new covenant? Well, the first one is that Jesus is in in an intimate relationship with his people. He's in an intimate relationship with his people. So there needs to be a new covenant because he loves us so much. And we can see this in Jeremiah 31. I want you to turn to Jeremiah 31, verse 32. Now, and just read this. This, is, this whole section, 31 through 34, is almost verbatim. There's a couple things missing, but those couple things missing are incredibly important. And this author is pointing back to this prophecy. So you can look at it on the screen. It's 31, 32. It says this, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So I've highlighted on the screen a couple things. He took this people, the the nation of Israel, by the hand out of slavery 450 years in Egypt and took them by the hand and he also calls them his bride. And we can't miss it. This is Jeremiah. He can't miss this. Like there is no greater relationship on this earth than a marriage. It is the most intimate relationship that you will have outside of your relationship with Jesus. It's the most intimate. And we all know this, right? And we, and, but we also know that that intimate relationship, when it is broken, when it is fractured, it affects everything. It affects everything. Years and years later, it affects relationships, it affects the spouse, it affects friendship, all kinds of things. And in this day, I was thinking about this, and in this day and age, our kids, and we included, soften this relationship most likely because of the fractures that have taken place over the years and generations of brokenness, and it's become the norm. And I was thinking about this more and more, and these are the consequences that we we receive because of this broken, this fractured relationship to the point where now kids are hearing from their parents that they were not, the mom or the dad was not the first spouse. Like that sometimes is a regular story in kids' lives in elementary school or junior high or high school. And they find out mom or dad was not my parents' first spouse. See, in grade four, and maybe if you're 50 years old and up, you probably remember the very first time I heard about divorce was grade four. Every one of my school friends had a mom and a dad. Until this one girl comes to school and says, and I'll never forget it. And this is what I mean. Like, this is a powerful covenant that is broken. And to this day, I still remember this conversation with this young girl in grade four as a classmate saying, my parents just got divorced. And I was like, that was a hard thing for me to com- compute in my head. It's like, what? 
It breaks relationships. It fractures all kinds of things. It affects people for years. Even uh, individuals in our church body here, I've had conversations and coffee with, and, and they're in their 40s, and they tell me about their parents' divorce still to this day, that it affects them, and their parents got divorced when they were under 10. This is something that affects someone for a lifetime. And I'm saying all this because here in Jeremiah, this prophecy proclaims that they are the ones who have caused the division and separation between themselves and God. They are the breakers of the marital covenant that God made with His people. They are the ones that broke it. See, it was God that did everything. It was God that brought them out of slavery. It was God that led them by the hand, feeding them and leading them to the promised land. But it was the people that broke the covenant. And this covenant was not only broken between God and themselves, but also between man and man. And we see this in verse 8 of Hebrews. With mention of Israel and Judah, there's a brokenness even within the heart of this nation. And this again is similar to marriage. See, when we wrestle against the things of God, they most often will be revealed in your other relationships. And I've said this multiple times before, but if you have something on the horizontal level of a broken, fractured relationship, that it is a sign to you that there's something broken with you and God. And we preached on this in actually 1 John chapter 5. This is the importance of forgiveness. This is the importance of seeking this out and and reconciling this fracture, no matter how big or how small. Because God has called us to do so. And it's happening here with the people of God. They are broken people seeking the desires of their own hearts. They are at odds with one another, which many are okay with, but they are at odds at the interpersonal level as well. They're at odds at the spiritual level with their Creator. And this is something that will eat away at them and at us if we are in the same boat with someone on this planet. In the horizontal level, it will eat at you. And the Bible makes this crystal clear. Separation with God is never a good thing. And friends, this Hebrew church is no different from you and I. It is one of the reasons I believe the author is pointing this back to Jeremiah 31 specifically. Into the mix here in Hebrews, he's pointing this back. And the author is showing the church that they are on the verge of drifting from the Lord. And they ought to be called back to the unity under the name of their God as a bride ought to unite with her husband. Run to Him. See, these people, they need a new covenant because the intimacy with the Lord has been fractured. And this is why the new covenant, unity has been broken, so God brings a solution to the brokenness. He's not only the one that that fulfills redemption and renewal, but He's actually the one that also brings the solution. The people aren't bringing the solution. He does. So the first, Jesus wants an intimate relationship with His people. And secondly, because they have broken the first. And the beauty of this, and I've said that multiple times, even in the first point, so it might be confusing, but the second point I want to bring up and highlight here in Jeremiah 31 and also Hebrews 8 is secondly, because they have broken the first covenant. This is why we need a new one. 
And the beauty of this new covenant is that it will be with all the people of God, the split nations of Israel and Judah. And we see that, as I've pointed out in verse 8 already, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. He's bringing renewal. And this actually brings us to our second point, the new covenant and what will this new covenant do? And so we go on to verses 10 and 11. But this is a covenant that will bind what has been broken. It is a binding covenant, a lasting covenant, an eternal one, as we've been discovering all the way through Hebrews, that Jesus is the greater high priest because he is eternal. Remember, even in that diagram when the kids were in the gathering, I had that, the Levi side you know, the, of the tribe of Levi, I love priests, and every priest, it was a new priest, new law, and then they would die. New priest, new law, and then they would die. Jesus is different because he's a new priest. So he brings in a new law, new covenant, but he never dies. He's eternal. And so that's why we don't need another one. And this is what, what will this new covenant do? Well, it will be lasting. It's a lasting, eternal covenant. In Hebrews 8 and Jeremiah 31, talk of these two kingdoms, Israel and Judah, being separated, but no longer. No longer. There's going to be this new covenant that's actually going to bind His people back to Himself. And it's a sweet, sweet thing that we can't miss. And there's going to be this new covenant that will perform a binding of the people of God that will also bind us to Him as well as a bride. Take a look again at verse 10 through 11 in Hebrews 8. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. See, if anything... This is the unifying of the church, of the bride, back to the groom. Back to the groom. This is God not merely providing a new covenant, but one that is written on the core of, of everyone's personhood on the softened heart of each one of us. See, this is a full renovation of the bride, giving a new mind and a new heart, and then proclaiming over the bride the most amazing promise they will now be His people. In one way, you can look at that new mind, new heart, and we see this in the New Testament everywhere in the Gospels that you are reborn. There's, there's a new birth that happens. And this is really another way of saying that you're going to have a new mind and a new heart. One that's going to recognize Jesus. In a familiar vein, Ezekiel says the same thing. And again, I've said this over and over again. We're just repeating the same thing over and over again throughout the story of the Scripture. And we're, we're starting to see that come out, especially in Hebrews, because it points back to the Old Testament so much. But in, let me show you an example. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 22 and 23, it says this, And I will make them one nation in the land. This is speaking of Jesus' renewal. One land, nation and one land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them. This is Jesus. And they shall be no longer two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Again, just a repeat of what is going on. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the renewal. Jesus is the better promise and covenant and the mediator. And He's so, so sweet, isn't He? So good. 
So to answer the question, what will this new covenant do? Well, it will bring renewal to what was broken. It will provide salvation to the people of God. And it is unlike the old in this way. The old could not save, as we saw in chapter 7. But this new covenant comes with better promises, better covenant, and a better mediator. A better Moses, a better promise, and a better mediator. And then thirdly, the question of how. How is this going to take place? Well, we can see this in verse 12 and 13. It says this, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is taking what the old covenant once was, a covenant of works. It's a covenant of works. And bringing a new covenant, the covenant of grace. See, as we saw last week, Jesus' ministry is far superior to the priests before him. They had no power to fulfill the law. They had zero power to do so. They had no power to bring ultimate renewal. They had no power to provide salvation, let alone salvation by the means of grace. And remember back at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 3, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. It says this right in the first couple of verses of chapter 3. But Jesus is faithful over all as a son. He's the better Abraham. He's the better prophet. He's the better Moses. He's the better Jacob. He's the better priest. See, Jesus brings the better sacrifice, the better covenant, the better promise of salvation. And as a reminder of what is grace, grace is something that is undeserved. It's a gift outside of yourself. You, You can't, you're not even asking for it. It's an undeserved gift for you. And this is Jesus. It's being gifted with something that you do not deserve and the grace given by God is an undeserved grace and and God's grace can only be described as indescribable. It's indescribable. For it is a grace that brings the dead to life. It is a grace that takes liars, thieves, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, the homosexual and brings them to a new life. And it remembers their sin no more. It is the only thing in this world that will actually suffice to bring unity back to God. Nothing else can bring unity. And the church, church, we have the answer. We have the answer to this broken world that is suffering and looking for answers to feed themselves more and more. And we have the answer, and it is Jesus. He's the only way to salvation. He's the only one that will bring renewal, that will bring a true comfort of your heart, that will bring true joy in your life. He's the only way. He's the only one that brings this. He is our salvation. So in closing, what do we do with this? Like, what do we do with all this information that Jesus is this great covenant keeper? That we're the ones that broke it. What do we do? How do we live this out? Like, what do we do with God that gives grace and mercy? Like, think about that statement. What do you do with a God, like the Almighty, we sang already this morning, holy, holy, holy God that gives grace and mercy? What do you do with that? 
Like even in verse 12, it says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities. That is sin. That is your rebellion. And I will remember their sins no more. Like what do you do with that verse? Like if I didn't know God, I just read that verse, I'd be like, I want to find out who that one is. I want to find out who that God is. What is the merciful grace and goodness of Jesus Christ? That he will forget my sin? Like, what do we do with a God that renews? What do we do with a God that fulfills the covenant promise of salvation when all along we are the ones that rebel? What do we do with that? What do we do with God that, that sent his son to die for us, to take the penalty that we deserve? What do you do with that? What do, you, what do you do with that when you're having a conversation with someone like a coworker, a family, or a friend, and just say, like, what do you do with Jesus? Like, I would really love to help, help me wrap my head around, what do you do with him? He lived here 2,000 years ago, and he came for the, full, the sole purpose to save you, to pay your sin. Like, what, what are you doing with that? And it's not as simple as, I, I just don't believe in him, because there's way too much evidence that he walked this earth. And proclaimed himself as God. So what do we do with that? That that grace, that amazing grace, that anyone that believes upon him for salvation will be saved. What do you do with that? That promise. Man, God has been so good to us. Amen? Like there's so many things in the scripture. If we just slow down and just think about these things, like, oh my God, like what do you, that is so good. So in, in our lives this week, just let's slow down. Think about the grace that has been given. The mercy that has been given to us. I was talking a lot about consequences at the start, kind of intro that consequence. Let me close with that as well. So every one of us has decision to make. And there's consequences to this decision. See, we have a God that has placed the law in our hearts and promises, promises us that I will be their God. And if you didn't notice, I want you to notice now, but if you can look in your Bibles... And even just at verses 6 through 8, it actually starts in verse 8. So through verse 12. So this is Jeremiah's prophecy in quotations here in Hebrews chapter 8. But from 8 to 12, we see, I will six times. And if you didn't see it, please see it now. Put a circle around it in your journals or in your Bibles. Let me just read those I wills. I will establish the covenant. I will make the covenant I will put laws into their hearts. I will be their God. I will be merciful. I will remember their sins no more. We have such a good God. Nothing in that section from 6 to 13, nothing in there is something that we do. It's all Him. The we is that we broke the covenant. The I wills are endless. 
if you just start noticing them in the scripture, when you read your devotions and your Bible time, they're actually everywhere. So like I said, I started this morning talking about consequences to our decisions, but the severe consequences that took place because of the broken covenant. So we have all rebelled against God. We've all sinned against Him. And there's a consequence to that action. Now the cool thing is, the consequences to our action, if we speed, we have a penalty that we have to pay. You can argue it all you want, but you know you've done wrong. The consequence to our sin is that Jesus came and paid for it. It's like someone coming alongside you as the police officer is writing the ticket and someone walking down the street goes, Officer, let me, let's, let's, don't worry about them. Can you just write that ticket towards me, please? Can you write the ticket towards me? But sir, you're walking. It's fine. Here's my driver's license number. Put it on my record. The beauty of God's grace is unfathomable. It is unbelievable. It is incomprehensible. It is, it is far beyond our imaginations can imagine. Jesus is so good that He came into. The consequence of our sin is that Jesus died. He shed His blood for our sin. It's, it's crazy. See, the consequences of rebellion towards the Holy God isn't a small fine that you one day will pay off. It is death. It is death. And there's really two options for us of these consequences. Not like the three of speeding and the many other scenarios. There's really only two. There's two options for your sin. Either you surrender to Jesus Christ and believe Him of who He says He is, and believe upon Him for His salvation purposes, that He is willing and able and trustworthy to take your sin and the penalty of your sin upon His back at the cross. 2,000 years ago, He's paid for all of it. And that, like in our text, He will, he will not remember it any longer. Or, and you will remain eternally in joy with Him. So that's one consequence. That's one decision you can make. The second is saying, you know what, I, I feel a little bit guilty to, to have Jesus pay for my sin, so I'm going to pay for it myself. And the consequence of that decision is eternal separation from God. It's eternal punishment. Not so much separation. God is perfectly judge over hell. He will perfectly judge you. And He will torment you perfectly for the remainder of eternity which is forever. So those are the two. Either He will have grace through the life of Jesus Christ or He will judge you eternally. There's two decisions that we have to make. One of them. You can only choose one. And I guess the question is, this week, what do we, what do we choose for an unbeliever. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ already, how are we now going to live in this kingdom? How are we going to now live in the grace and the mercy and the joy and the love of Jesus Christ? We should live so differently. We should live with a, a smile on our face at all times, no matter where we are. 
no matter what trial or suffering comes our way, no matter what our employee or employer does to us, no matter what our situation, no matter if it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend, no matter if it's, it's a marriage or if it's singleness, no matter what our decision, if we have Jesus, it should be eternal joy here and now. So let's live that way. May it affect us daily. May it affect everything in our life because we have a priest, a great high priest, who has made a new covenant for us. That, that covenant pays for all things. And it renews us back to him. That we might have joy with him forever in a for, completely forgiven state. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for what this section of scripture is saying. It's essentially telling us the gospel here once again in Hebrews. That there was sin committed. There was brokenness between us and you. And in your grace and your mercy, you came and you placed a new covenant upon our hearts and our minds, renewing us completely back to yourself. And that you will not remember our sin any longer because of your sacrifice. You are so good to us, Jesus. Help us see the goodness of the gospel in the scripture before us. Help us see and live out the goodness of the gospel now as we go out into the world through the rest of this week and into our community groups, into our workplaces, that we will be faithful proclaimers and servants of you, our King. And I pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.